After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. And Captain's Law. Captain's Log, star date 032920. Social distancing and self isolation continue. However, the feeling of antsiness and uncomfortableness is somewhat increasing in our society. Replays of classic hockey games are getting live tweeted as if they are now. Even classic movies are being live tweeted. Shaving is clearly becoming a thing of the past, but podcasting must continue, like right now on the Hockey Podcast. Well, hello to everybody listening on Spreaker.com and on YouTube and also on Facebook to the Hockey Podcast. You can follow uh, us on podcast underscore hockey on Twitter. Uh, like us on Facebook, the Hockey Podcast. You're you're watching on uh, my feed, Kevin Olenek's Facebook feed, but I have tagged everyone on there, so you should be able to see that. And also, as I said, YouTube. YouTube and you can subscribe on all podcast formats, Google, uh, Apple, Spotify, etc. And so we are all here. We have Sean is here. Hello, Sean. How are you doing? I'm all right. All right. Just uh, making sure I'm not burning down the house. Burning down the house. Why, why on earth would you be burning down the house? <laughs> I'm trying to do trying to season the uh, the cast iron pans, and uh, when you turn the oven up to about four fifty five hundred, it uh, kind of smokes. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, there we go. Cooking lessons. Yes. Uh, Tyler is with us. Hello, hello, Tyler. Hello, everybody. Hello, Kevin. Uh, how are things in your world right now? Uh, well, it's gotten so quiet that the wild animals of the region are starting to take over the place. We had a moose wandering around Terrace this past week, oh. just randomly. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a strange time for everyone, of course. Yeah, yes, it is. And Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Well, best considering the situ- circumstances, I guess. And. Uh, I don't know if Hannah's there, but hello, Hannah, if you are there. Uh, she's actually still sleeping. Okay, well, fair enough. Let, we'll let her sleep. Uh, <laughs> and Devin is with us as well. Hello, Devin. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Um, so for one of the things that we got a little bit of feedback on last week is to talk less COVID, more hockey. And we're going to attempt with this to do this a little bit more. And it's not that... I think everyone here does certainly agrees that the news around COVID is important and that information is important, but I think there needs to be an opportunity to get away from it. And that's one of the goals with this right now is to, to have a little bit of an escape escapism and have a little bit of fun and just talk a little bit about 
hockey. We will get into some of the stories, but we're also going to spend some time uh, talking about some of the games that were on last night uh, and some of the choices that a certain uh, company made in terms of who they chose to how to broadcast the game. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, but we will start with some news. And I do want to start with, um, there's, oh, Chris ran away and there's a cat at Chris's thing. Hello, Bowie. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit. I want to start with the comments. The Pacific Division captains had a player availability this week. It was uh, Connor McDavid, Oliver ekman Larson, Mark Giordano, Bo, Ho- Bo-, Bo Horvat, and a few others. Uh, but the big thing that came out of that was what Connor McDavid said that he does not think it it would be a easy jump to go in from going off season, which we're basically kind of in an off point, to jumping right in into an intense playoff format. Um, he felt like there should be some regular, some type of regular season to conclude before we get into some sort of playoff. Things so I w- wanted to start kind of what your thoughts were there. Uh, did you see what Connor McDavid said? Uh, could you see his point, or is he being a little offside? By the way, if you're on Facebook Live, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to add them, and we will get through them on the show as well. And if I see a YouTube comment as we're doing this, I'll try to get to that as well. But uh, I'll start with who I'm seeing first. Chris, what did you think, and then everyone else can kind of chime in. Like, I don't exactly disagree with Connor's take on that, but it definitely seems like it would be quite the jump to go straight into playoffs. And what he was alluding to is if Calgary and Edmonton end up playing each other in the first round, which is by no means a guarantee at this point. Well, percentage-wise, it would actually be Vancouver and Edmonton in the first round, and Calgary would be the wild card team. So they would be playing uh, St. Louis, I want to, Las Vegas or St. Louis, one of the two. Uh, at this point in time, probably Vegas, but uh, what else is, what, anyone else have a, yeah, any... I, it, the, with everything that's gone on, uh, there really isn't a perfect, a good solution at this point. No matter what you have, there's going to be some major downsides. Um, if you go straight into playoffs, um, yeah, you're going to ramp, you're going to have a, a crazy ramp up right away and there could be some injuries that could become because happen because of it and then you you're also if you have like there's a time crunch right um so like trying to figure out and then with, with that as well you go how do you just determine who's a playoff team and who's not when people have when teams haven't played the equal amount of games so it it's it's off that way, but then again, and how, how are you going to schedule games to make sure that everyone has the same amount of games? Because at that point, then you're going to have some teams play two games, some teams play four, some teams play three before the playoffs. And does Detroit really need to play a game, another game? No. <laughs> well, that, that, um, but it's... But... Uh, that, that you know, I mean, we laugh, but that actually is a fair question going forward. Like Detroit is mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. There, there really isn't a reason at this point for them to play. 
Like yeah, unless they... as, as, especially since they're gonna they're gonna be last no matter what. Like they even for the draft lottery percentages, they they're locked into that highest uh, highest percentage at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah, and whether or not then then you but then you like that's why I think what I think they'll end up doing is. Um, it is sort of condensing next season because I think one of the things we that everyone's talking about right now, and a lot of people, I don't know if a lot of people quite understand or if they're just not talking about it, um, is the financial impact of this with the cap going forwards. The cap was supposed to go up by I think around four million, uh, four to six, four to eight or four to six million, depending on the escalator. Uh, that the FPA can do, but they are they weren't going to use the escalator because of uh, escrow. They're having they don't like you the the amount of money they're paying back to the league because of escrow. Um, so what like at this point you're basically going to have either a flat cap or even less going into next season. And there's a lot already a lot of teams that were very are very much in the. Uh, Right up against the cap this season, they're going to have very much struggles next season. So, the more um, the more revenue they can get in from these games, the better. So, what I think was going to happen is we're going to end up with a an expanded playoffs. You're not going to have just sixteen teams. You're probably going to have twenty to twenty two teams within the playoffs when when this all starts happening. Uh, if this all starts happening again, it probably in the like late summer, early fall. Yeah, I don't see I don't see them uh, going straight into the playoffs. It doesn't make much sense. With it, it, it takes so long to get into you know uh, mid season form, if you will, for each player to be firing on all cylinders and to make it as competitive and fair as possible. I think that they need to do some sort of. Hmm, like Sean said, uh, expanded playoff, which, you know, would be, would make it easier for the players to transition into uh, that higher gear that uh, the playoffs is always, um, is always showcasing. So it'll be, um, I, I think that they will have some sort of, you know, maybe some exhibition games or something uh, along those lines uh, to get back into game shape before jumping right into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I can see sort of a preseason kind of thing. Um, I think that that would make some sense. And I think, um, just quickly, I think that there's going to be some questions about how crowds are going to be working, and that, that will be a conversation that we have at another time. But that is legitimately how crowds go to these games, I think, is going to be a very important point and how that's handled going forward as well. Um but I, it'll, yeah, so I kind of see where Connor is going. And I still think right now there's the, the GMs met. There's really, right now, everyone's kind of in a waiting pattern in term, terms of everything, everything that is going on. Um, we do, I do know today, of course, Tokyo moved the, we're looking at a possibility of a spring Olympics for next year, but they have decided to move more to summer. Uh, so, 
Uh, I'm not, you know, so logistically the the travel part of this will will also be an, an issue as well for players playing in Europe if they have went home. Uh, it looks like Giordano and McDavid stayed in Calgary and Edmonton and Bo Horvat went uh, to Ontario to be with his wife who is pregnant, which is understandable. Um, so, and all that, so all of the players taking those decisions into that, I think, is uh, is a big, big kind of key in this as well. Um, did anything else come out of what happened there with the player conversation that you thought was interesting? I that, I took the big news from that. Was there anything else from there that you thought was an interesting part of of, uh, of that conversation? Well, from a Canucks perspective, I mean, it was uh, kind of fun to hear Connor McDavid uh, tip his cap to Bo Horvat and his face-off abilities. That was that was kind of cool. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, we all we all know that <laughs> Bo is a monster in the face-off dot. So, um, but yeah, having having Connor McDavid actually tip his hat is, is was was quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I thought it was there was a nice little jab about Bo Horvat jabbing at Giordano. That if you're okay with the percentage part, are you okay with that? I thought you know, um, you know, and I it's I also think I I just just in terms of Connor McDavid, the one thing I I think that I kind of appreciated is is I think this year has been a better year for him in terms of not feeling this stress of being the Oilers captain. In a quagmire, I think he's been allowed to be a little bit more him. The showing he's been able to show his fun side. I mean, showing the videos on Twitter with him carrying all the dogs, and he just seems to be having more fun this year. Like as a human being. Funny what happens when your team starts winning. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's also you also every year you you learn how to handle the pressure a little bit differently as well and better. Um, and that's one thing. Bringing it back to the Canucks and Bo Horvat is this was this was his first year as captain, and I think he's done well. But he's done, I would say he's definitely had his struggles at times, and and but I think he's done a, a really really good job overall. But he's just going to get better at that. Yeah, it's yeah. not an easy transition um, becoming a captain of an NHL team, especially with all the young players that are doing that now. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it takes a lot of growing and, uh, you know, to, to Chris's point, yeah, it's crazy what, uh, what winning does to the atmosphere, um, and the pressure. It's not just winning. It's how much weight is on Connor McDavid's shoulders. And it certainly looks like a bit of that weight has come off this season as opposed to the last few here. Yeah. Um, well, having, I think having dry saddle, being able to carry a line, has really helped. So, yeah, before, Leon, like, even Thomas as he is definitely has made a difference for sure. And even even last year with uh, when they they both were putting up like ridiculous numbers, they the, they did that that the majority majority of that together. While this season they've uh, done a good chunk of it apart. Um, they're still playing a lot together on the power play. Uh, Dave Tippett was never. Uh, shy to put them together late in games uh, when they were down, but for the most part they were on separate lines. So I think that it's kind of a scary, uh, scary proposition for all the Pacific Division teams when you've got uh, 
two absolute dominant uh, players on two different lines uh, that uh, Edmonton's got now. For sure. Yeah, I think I think so. And I think the other thing with the Oilers uh, is I think the development of how Ryan Nugent Hopkins has developed this year. I think he's uh, I think that that's been kind of one of the quieter stories that's been happening uh, around the league. I think in Oilers, in oil country, I think they're seeing what Nugent Hopkins is able to do. But I think overall, I don't know if we've if that's been a big enough story. Uh, but the way he's developed and the way he played. And a lot of the quiet acquisitions, like the Gaytown Hawks, the Riley Sheehan's, uh, Josh Archibald, uh, those kind of guys, I think, for the Oilers have really made a difference. That depth there, I think, uh, from a Canucks, whoever they play in the first, in whatever round, I think that depth is going to be very important uh, and I think will be valuable for them going forward. I still have some concerns about the Oilers, but I think their depth, the depth sides, I, the, the upside of their depth, I think, if I was an Oilers fan, I would have some hope there. Yeah, in, in regards to Eugene Hopkins, he's been like that for a while, um, in my in my opinion. I think the past two, three years, even going back to their their playoff run, um, I think he's been really good since since then. It's just with the success coming again, you're we're able to see him be as effective as he is uh, now, especially now that they've moved him to the wing every once in a while to play with play on a line with Dressel and uh, Yamamoto for uh, a little bit at the near the end of this near the end the last few uh, last like couple months so you're just seeing you're just seeing what he what he has been for the last little bit in my opinion mm. yeah. um the other thing uh we'll, we'll I didn't see a lot of Flames news, but I, I do want to... Did Travis Green did a couple of interviews this week, uh, one on Hockey Central at noon uh, and one here in uh, Vancouver. Uh, and what I thought... One of my interesting things was his conversation about last year handling the five games with Quinn Hughes and him talking about actually encouraging Nolan Baumgartner to... Uh, to play him more, to play him 20 minutes um, and play him 20 minutes or more, even back near the end of the year. Um, he wanted to push that envelope with Quinn Hughes even back then. He saw that much, um, which is interesting because we wanted to kind of, uh, we want to kind of uh, coddle rookies and Travis Green. I thought it was really interesting that he didn't want to coddle him. He saw that right away. The the thing with Travis Green is he is cautious. He doesn't want to put uh, rookies in positions to, and players into positions that they're not ready for. But it's going to show that you're ready. He's going to throw you in the deep end. He did it with Pedersen. He's done it with uh, Hughes. Um, he's he's he took taking the long the long road with. Uh, with with Jake Vertanen, but every like he's built Vertanen into a into a player that can handle being a real a good third line player who can step up and play in your top six when when needed. Um, that's the one thing I I, I know in one of the the major uh, are talking points with the uh, with the Canucks and how Travis Green has handled the young players. But once you show Travis Green that 
you're ready, he's gonna he's gonna rely on you just to do it, right? So it's just a lot of these players aren't quite quite there yet when when they come in. Like uh even Zach McEwen, I think he's taking more of a for Jake for Tannen approach on Zach McEwen, which is fine. It's gonna I think Zach McEwen's gonna be very uh be better off for that. Um It'll be interesting to see how he handles uh, Rogan Rafferty going into next season. Uh, so, but the way I've looked at it is, once like it, it take it, it can take a while for a player to gain the trust of Travis Green, but once he does, he will he will ride him. Did it absolutely? Yeah. I, you know, here I'll, I'll add on that uh, in regards to goaltending. I mean, there's been a lot of people that that have uh, are, are very pro Demko, uh, concerned about how hard uh, Jacob Markstrom was being worked by the coach. But the coach has been very clear; he's the number one guy. He earned that trust to be the number one guy. And uh, you know, it looks like Demko has some more work to do to earn more playing time. Even though the organization certainly does have a lot of faith in him. Yeah, yeah. Well, Markstrom's got the got Green's trust, and for and, and deserves it. He's stood on his head. He's been one of the best goal goaltenders in the NHL this season. And as good as and and as good as look at times, it's going to be it's going to be tough to uh, it's going to be tough to unseat a unseat a goalie who's playing as well as Markstrom was before his injury. Yeah, like you yeah. could only put Marshall into a Vesna esque conversation. He was playing that good this season. Well, yeah, some of us had I, him in a heart conversation. It's valid. Um, going back to uh, Quinn Hughes, I mean, Quinn Hughes is a, uh, a generational player in my mind, um, and he's definitely going to change the the look on uh, the Vancouver uh, defense for years to come. And you know it. There's special players like that that are able to step in right away. But otherwise, you know, look at the Detroit model for a long time. You had people marinating down in um, uh, Grand Rapids. You had uh, Nyquist. You had uh, Sheehan. You had all, all those different players just down there when they could have played on any other team for sure. But, you know, the, uh, Holland decided to keep them down there for a reason, right? And there's nothing wrong with more marinating. Um so as far as Demko goes, you know, he, he, he has a lot of upside for sure. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of taken back uh, what I said at the beginning of the year, saying that uh, Demko could definitely be, you know, a, a number one or, you know, 1A soon enough. Um, I'm going to take a book out of Tyler's uh, or a page out of Tyler's book and say that, yeah, you know, he does need a little bit more marinating and a little bit more um, seasoning before he can be really trusted upon to uh, take the reins. And, uh, you know, going into next year, it's going to be interesting to see um, what they do with uh, with Demko uh, and, you know, Markstrom and his contract. So, it's yeah, it's a wait-and-see game. Just want to mention uh, that we have our usage of the show here, marinating. Yes. <laughs> I believe mentioned three times by Devin. <laughs> the <laughs> marinating Making drinking Making us game. hungry, Devin. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned seasoning and marinating, and Sean's got his cooking whatever going on in the background there. So. <laughs> yeah. It, with, it, to add on with, with Devin there, with Demco and 
and Markstrom and all that, the, I think a lot of the, the, the angst and everything that's happened in, in Canucks fan and especially on Twitter has been more in regards to the Seattle expansion draft because you can only you can only um, you can only protect one goalie. So you've got Markstrom coming up uh, this year. You've got Demko uh, needing a new contract in, in another year. Um, and then you also need to um, you also need to figure out how to uh, what you're going to do with the, the the expansion draft. So that's the biggest the biggest uh, question right now and, and concern on, in terms of goaltending. You also have Ricky. You also have Mikey DiPietro coming up in in Utica. Um, I still think he needs to at least another another season down in Utica to marinate, but. Uh, I do think that he, he's on, he's on his way. So um, the other the other thing is with with Demko is the age the age of a the of when goaltenders really sort of kind of hit their hit their stride professionally and and in the NHL is, is 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 older than a lot of the the skaters now. Yeah, you, yeah, you've got the yeah. the oddities of um, Vasilevsky. Uh, Carter Hart and 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 even going back a little bit to Carey Price, but for the most part, a lot of these goaltenders coming in now um, have have been have been stewing down in the AHL and 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 developing their game and changing their game. Um, I'll go back to the guy, uh, basically my goalie guru that I always make sure to listen to when he's on radio is Kevin Woodley. He talked about the jump between professional uh, and uh, from amateur to professional, like whether it's college or junior to professional hockey, is huge. Even going from that to just the AHL is gigantic. So, uh, and then the, the jump between the AHL to the NHL is also a step you have to take, and that's the step that Demko is taking now. It take, not very rarely are goalies going to be able to take that in one season. So they had they brought Demko up halfway through last last season and now they gave him a decent amount of starts this season especially because with marks from going back to sweden and and taking personal leave because of his his father and now with and that and now and then with getting a few starts at the end at before this before the, the stoppage um because of marshall's injury he's gotten a lot of starts he's going to learn from that but you're not going to know what you have with him until he actually until he can go through it and and figure it out, I I wouldn't be surprised if, if knowing what I know about Demko from listening to him talk, listening to uh, uh, reporters talk about about him, uh, even um, uh, when TSN ten forty was down uh, covering the Whitecaps uh, training camp down in down in Southern California, they brought Demko's dad in because he lives down in they're down in San Diego and that's where Demko's from. They talked with. They brought him on. I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's in in daily contact with uh, with um, Ian Clark and and going over video and talking about what he can what he can do to change his game to, to be better throughout this whole this whole process. What do you th- just out of curiosity? I I think it's it's tougher everyone when I precurse th- this, but is it tougher for is it tougher for the players or is it tougher for a goalie to get for this length of time to get back into that groove? 
goalie for I sure. I think it's yeah. uh yeah, you know, you, you with the player you can you can, you know, have you can really just kind of not jump back in easier, but it's uh it, it is easier because like as a goalie, you need shots. You need to be able to visualize and uh get your angles down and, you know, have those shooters come down on you. Um but if you don't physically have that, I think it's a it's a big detriment to to the goalies and you know i i wouldn't be surprised if once everything gets back to normal and we start playing games that they that you know goals per game is going to go up because of that yeah, I yeah agree. it's a lot more cerebral of a position you, you definitely need to have that mental exercise as well as the physical i was going to say players because of just I, I feel like the the dynamic movements that they make is could be bring more uh more injury uh concerns into it but what Devin said is uh does make it a tough decision I, i'm not sure if there is a, a right decision uh, on this uh a right choice on this because yeah i think you do need goalies do need practice and and just move, getting the movements and the muscle memory back while while hockey players i think can be a little more instinctual for a lot of it Tyler, no, I agree with all those all those points. Um, I I think in terms of rust factor, uh, I, it, would, it would probably be harder for goalies to shake it without that game action. I think for for players, a couple of practices under their belt and then some game action, it probably wouldn't take as long to uh, to get up to speed. You know, this kind of ties in with something we were talking about earlier, though. There was some suggestion about exhibition games before playoffs start. I, I don't see that happening myself. I think if there's going to be any games that ha- occur before um, a playoff. Uh, tournament begins uh, there'll be regular season games to try and balance off the games played column but yeah you know as we've talked about both this weekend and in the past uh, that's complicated to figure out yeah yeah and i i think the other interesting question going forward for the canucks uh is now that with the unrestricted free agency i i think what i'm hearing sean say i I almost would look at Markstrom and I would almost sign him, try to, if you could, I mean, this is, you know, obviously I'm not Jacob Markstrom, but um, you might want to look at a one-year re-sign for him uh, just in case, um, try to get a, I don't know what, a salary, no idea, but I think if you can get him at a one-year contract, that might be great, I, you know. With everything going on, I just trying to figure out what what all the free agents are going to want to want to do and, and try and do this. Let alone the teams this this upcoming off season, whenever that is. Right. Because I don't think right. like what's the cap going to be? Mm-hmm. Like we don't know because it, we don't know whether or not there's going to be more revenue coming in with the. Um, with playoffs potentially, or even a couple, couple more regular season games for each team, we don't know um, what what agreement the NHL and NHLPA are gonna are going to come up with because they are they need to figure something out because the cap was supposed to go up a decent amount this this uh, upcoming summer had this 
stoppage not happened, but I don't think that's realistically going to happen now. Will there be any compliance buyouts that could potentially happen? Because yeah. if, the, if the cap is, is is flat, you're like, where's where's all the where, where are these uh where's the money going to come from? Yeah. yeah. And I don't see a one-year contract being a remote possibility just because how well Markstrom has played this past season. His agent has all that leverage. And what agent is going to allow their player to have a one-year contract without it being an insanely high price? Which, as John just pointed out, is not going to be a realistic thing for the team. Yeah. And what about job security, too? Yeah, you know, job security is massive for your players. They want to, especially with you know the uncertainty of the world right now. How could you not want more term? That's true. Too. Yeah, yeah. That's good I point. think that's why we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of the NCAA players sign now. We saw like Trevor Segrest sign um, a couple others. They're signing because they want it. They want money now because they don't know what what it's going to look like going forwards. Yeah, it's understandable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Devin, was there anything going on in Flames? I haven't heard a lot going on in Flames land right now. Uh, are you seeing anything, hearing anything? Uh, nothing really other than those two college signings. Uh, other than that, it's pretty quiet on our end. Okay. Yeah, because I haven't, I haven't seen anything. Um, but... Uh, so, but I was just curious. Uh, let's move on here. And we had Canucks Twitter got a little angry last night at Sportsnet. Uh, of course, Sportsnet is uh, NTSN, but, but both channels are doing this. But Sportsnet are replaying some of the classic games. So, uh, and it's depending on regions. So, if you were in Sportsnet West, you had an opportunity to watch Game Six of the 1991 Smythe Division Final between the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers, uh, and where Theron Fleury slid down the ice after scoring the overtime goal. And then here in Vancouver, they showed the Roger Nielsen White towel game between in 1981 or. Uh, uh, between the Canucks and the Chicago Blackhawks, that infamous game. Uh, they also show, showed the 2004 Game 7 Western Conference quarterfinal game between the Flames and Canucks. We'll get to that in a, in a moment. Uh, but they also showed nationally the 2011 Western Conference quarterfinal Game 7 between the Chicago Blackhawks and the Vancouver Canucks, which is one of the greatest games in Canucks history has a great call, radio call, uh, but that call, for obvious reasons, that call didn't happen. But what was uh, angered Canucks Twitter was how this broadcast was handled. This was not a sports CBC. It was not Jim Houston and Craig Simpson that called it. It was a versus rebroadcast, and a bunch of stuff was missing. A penalty shot. A monumental, the monumental Roberto Luongo overtime save before Alex Burroughs scored. And I think a lot of Canuck fans were just, you know, the call of that Burroughs goal just doesn't sound the same from Versus as it did from CBC or, or from John Shorthouse. So I'm going to start with the Canuck fans here. Did how that rebroadcast happened for you, did it bother you? Why or why not? 
well they they've done this all the time like they're they're and i don't know why they're trying to do this now because what else are they going to show <laughs> right but um like we don't we don't we don't need the the intermission commentary we don't need like a lot of that stuff but you gotta show like at least show the game in, in its entirety like i don't i don't understand why you would try and cut it out especially when you're like they showed the 94 game like condensed but they showed the curve they showed the 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 Kirk McLean save, and that Luongo save was just as big in the same in, in like the almost exact same type like type of circumstances. Yeah, you're you have in a, overtime. You have a, you have a penalty in overtime, and they don't. They just completely ignored that whole thing with a huge save included in there. Mm-hmm. Like it just, and then you're not using. I don't. I don't. I don't know if there's any because it was back in 2011 when CBC was separate from Rogers, and I don't know if they bought that. Whether when they bought when Rogers like got the national rights, whether or not they they got the the that recording of it or what, but showing the American like just makes no sense. Like you like you got like Houston's. That's a good day for an exorcism call. It's fantastic. Uh, it would be an amazing call if it wasn't overshadowed by uh, Slay of the Dragon from from John Shorterhouse. But then you you show us the American broadcast on a Canadian network. Like I, I said, I don't know if there are any sort of like rights issues there, but I, I just don't know why you would you would you would even. If you had the opportunity to to show to show show this with the with the original CBC broadcast, you had to. Not yeah, don't you? Yeah, there had to be yeah, there had to be something of, of either technical or rights related reasons because I mean Jim and Craig are Sportsnet's A team now, so you you you'd think they had nothing against their call of the game. Um, and certainly being a more Canucks-oriented broadcast. I mean, no disrespect to Versus. I mean, John Forsland is a good play-by-play announcer, and Daryl Ray and Brian Engblom did a pretty fair job on the on the broadcast. <laughs> First time I got to see the American version of it, but um, it's just not, not the same thing, you know. It's uh, <laughs> and 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 the memories that Canuck fans have with that game, you know, like Jim and Jim in particular, really personified the game and. That was missing last night, so it was it was an underwhelming replay of the game. But still, I mean, what a game it was! Yeah, no doubts about it. It was disappointing as a Canucks fan to have to deal with the American feed. But I also can see where it was coming from from the broadcaster side of things, where they're trying to fill so many hours of content. So if they're just basically trying to do what they can to fill it and they can't get every small detail right. So, yeah, like Sean was talking about, we don't need the intermission panels and interviews and that sort of stuff, but at least show the game in its entirety, not a condensed version. Well, it wasn't just condensed either. You know, it, was, it, was, it was a rushed job, too. Like, 
Kevin, you mentioned the Burroughs penalty shot wasn't shown. Well, they were showing replays of it, and it looked like we were getting like some backhaul there from a commercial break or something that was that had gone to air because they kept there was no you could hear the, uh, the commentators muttering uh, something during a commercial break, and you saw the the shovel people out there like that wasn't meant to go to air clearly, <laughs> and they showed a bunch of different angles of the Burroughs penalty shot in replay but then when they actually came back from commercial there was no discussion about it it was very i don't know it was like some the intern was assigned to just quickly whip together a replay of that game and get it on the air it was uh it was odd from my point of view it, it, it it's very unfortunate there has been you know there has to been some sort of uh, rights issues there i i feel like uh, sportsnet is smart enough to if they're going to do that they need to do that um through you know their their original broadcasting for Canada, um, you know it, the fact that the entire game wasn't shown I, that's bush league. It is completely bush league because there is no. Well, what else? Are you, what else you're showing? What else are you doing at this time of a lull in sports? You know, it, it just it doesn't make sense to me. I, I'm I, it's disappointing to hear that because uh, I know we're going to talk about this later, but the 04 um, Vancouver, Calgary, Game Seven was in. I thought it was it, it, like I didn't see any uh, cuts in time, um, or it, it, I'm pretty sure it was shown the entire game. So I don't know. It, that's it. As, as a hockey fan, it's disappointing, and I can only imagine being a full-on blown uh, Canucks fan how disappointing that would be too. I feel I feel bad for for everybody out there who uh, really wanted to see it. Well, Trevor Martins chimed in from, and he was tweeting a lot last night, and he's the program director for 1040. Uh, and in regards to the rights part, this was his answer to that question, because someone asked, said that. He said, CBC and TSN were national rights holders for playoffs in 2011. CBC was the primary rights holder. The game aired on CBC. Sportsnet took over the rights exclusively in 2014. They got the extensive library of games. I don't know why the versus was shown tonight. And the other thing that's really interesting about that and the other confusing part of this is they showed the Game 7 of 2011 between Montreal and Boston, and that was on a CBC feed. So I I find it a little odd that they could not have... the There would be a rights issue for the Blackhawks and the Canucks for the same year that the Montreal-Boston game is, is these games, these games were played two days apart, one day apart, actually. That, so the only really... thing about that, Kevin, is we'd have to go back and do some digging, but I don't know if there was uh, an American-produced broadcast of that game other than the Nesson uh, Bruins. Because uh, I, I know in the past, not so much now, but in the past, uh, in the first round in particular, even in the second round, Versus was picking up a lot of of the CBC and TSN productions when uh, Canadian teams were involved. Okay, maybe, but then that's yeah that that still raises it raises some. I don't know why I don't know why you would you wouldn't be sending your own like your your own commentators to do Montreal Boston like Vancouver Chicago was 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 big but so was Montreal Boston. It was like two of the biggest rivalries back in the back in that time because Boston and Montreal had played in the playoffs like three, four times in the past like six years at that point as well. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just there's there's lots of questions and lots of like I just don't understand why you would 
um, why, why you would throw the, the American feet on there. Just makes no sense to me. Yeah, yeah and they did that yeah. with um, uh, a Caps Penguins game from 2009. I think it was game two, was the game where both Crosby and Ovechkin had hat tricks. I mean, they showed the American feet of that, and that's not a big deal. It was two American teams, but there, there was a CBC telecast of that game as well. Yes, it's, that it, that, yeah, so that it does raise some questions. But getting to the 2011, um, watching the game and where it is from 2020 eyes, and we'll, I'll ask this again. It, it, I, maybe I'll ask this kind of in a blanket statement. Uh, did you miss that time of hockey? Did you appreciate that time of hockey? Or. Are, are you happy in some ways that we have moved to a different way? What, you, you, from 2011 till now? Well, I, I kind of made a blanket statement because even then, if you watched the 1981, the early 80s, uh, sorry, I think it, the Canucks-Blackhawks, that game, there was like a brawl. And everyone was fighting. And if you actually rebroadcast that game in its entirety, that would have been all night, probably. Um, was probably a pretty long game. But, like, I guess that's the... Like, if you even go back to as late as 2011, are you missing that time of hockey? Or are, is the hockey that we are watching now better? It's better now. Uh, you're, the, the, the way the game is called, for the most part... Uh, really allows the skill players to, to show to to take over. You're not you're not allowing these fourth line plugs to just hack and whack and 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 hook and hold and, and keep uh keep the the skill down. So I think it's better now for sure. Like the overall product is definitely better, but obviously being a Canucks fan, like I hold 2011 dearly in my heart. So. To be able to watch those games again is definitely a, a nice trip down memory lane. But going back to the previous topic, like they just butchered the actual execution of it. I, I would say, uh, as time's gone on, the, the game's obviously improved in terms of the speed and the skill level, and how much of a factor those elements are to the overall entertainment. But it's hard to deny how compelling playoffs were back in previous times. Uh, you know, 2010, 11. You know, just edge of your seat. I mean, watching the game last night again, that game seven just amazed me. You know, the pace that it was played at and the determination. The you know, to me, the playoffs over over the course of hockey history has been so much about will versus skill and you go back and look at 1994 for example when the Canucks and Flames played that game seven I mean there was no puck possession there was no working it around there was just get it in get the puck to the net will that thing across the goal line somehow and the the the, the manliness on display of that like I think we've lost a little bit of that over time even though I think it's pretty clear that the NHL's got a as good a product now as they've ever had well, I, yeah, I think it's just a lot of it is the drama. Yeah, yeah, the drama. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, Kevin. Like, uh, I I only watched the '04 last night, um, Game Seven, Calgary versus Vancouver, and uh, the he, you're 100 percent right. There was no no structure. <laughs> it was get the puck out, glassing out, um, get possession, dump it in. 
bang, crash, and get the puck to the net. There was no, there's not much structure to it whatsoever. And basically, if the puck was out of your own zone, that's all that really mattered for your defensive zone. Um, the the amount of clutching, grabbing, hooking, um, and uh, I, I, something I never noticed uh, until last night was on the the game winner from Jelena, um, Iginla gets tripped up by his own stick comes over the blue line in the offensive zone, hauls down Morrison, and that would have been a blatant call. Blatant call uh, now, but it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really fun to see where the game has come from, even from uh, the, the game that was on after um, with uh, Theo Fleur winning in an OT against uh, Edmonton. Like, it was uh, it, it, the, the progression of the skill being shown through right now, I think, is, uh, is definitely a better product to watch. Um, it's it's more fluent. It's it's it, it's it is it is more more poetry um, in motion, and it's uh, it's it's uh, yeah. Overall, it's it's definitely a better game to watch. But you do have to respect uh, the old school, old time hockey because uh, man, that's a fun fun game to watch. Uh, yeah, watch too, even even knowing where we are now. We're talking about, you know, battles of Western Canada here. I mean, you go back to those days and, and think of the battles of Ontario and, and how that was. And and uh, it was the same type of thing. I mean, the desperation level of the of the players just, just to try and get that puck into the net was, was incredible. There's a um, there's a various uh, versions of the best of Bob Cole from way back when. And, and there was one of those games. And, and I mean, you, the rule book was just thrown right out in the overtime. I mean, you, you know, it was really down to who was who was going to be man enough to get the job done and it was uh it was quite fun to watch i mean you look at that now and think how could they not call that but um you know uh you look at playoffs now in more recent years and it it always seems like every night there's some kind of controversy over how was that called how was that not called and and back then there was some degree of that but it was more let them play and i think there was less sort of discussion about the officiating after a game well we'll get to 04 because a couple of us had a disagreement on a certain call that happened at a late in that game game seven and some think it was soft and some didn't but just just to stick on 11 here for a second um a couple of my takeaways that I now looking back, I did not. I I know that Alex Burroughs got a lot of credit for that game, but Ryan Kessler had a hell of a game. Like that was, and I didn't realize how much I forgot how much Kessler and Burroughs were playing together that during that game. They were they were pretty much they. It was the Sadines with Samuelson, and then it was Kessler and Burroughs, and Kessler was was outstanding in that game. I don't know if he gets enough credit for that game seven, his performance there. No, he doesn't. Well, that, that whole series, he was hard matched up against the Taves and Kane line. So he was he was, he was the shutdown center. Like him, Burroughs, and, and uh, Mason Raymond were the shutdown line. They did a fantastic job considering that you had to, like, absolutely – superstars in their prime that they're playing up against so yeah he was that whole that whole run in 2011 like he gets a lot of a lot of love for that uh for that natural series where he basically put put the canucks on his shoulders but he shut he did he did he did a, a really good job shutting down the the hawks top players during that uh during the the, the that series 
the other one for me in that game was how good Luongo was. Uh, I mean, he was called upon many times to make big saves. And uh, remember the context. Game five, he got the hook uh, in a blowout loss. Game six, he was passed over in favor of Corey Schneider for the start. Then Schneider comes out with uh, a cramp or something after a penalty shot. Uh, Luongo comes in in relief. They lose that game. Uh, so it was a big, it was a big one in Luongo's career. I remember the versus guys were, were were discussing which was a bigger game, the Olympic gold medal final in 2010 or that night in Game Seven. I, I think you could argue that Game Seven against Chicago was a little bit bigger in terms of of his career, and uh, he passed the test that night with a number of great saves. Yeah, yeah. You want to talk about drama? That like that the circumstances surrounding that game. If they lost that game that team would have been blown up, management and players. It would have been the worst ever collapse in the history of the NHL. For a, for a President's Trophy team to take a 3 nothing series lead and, and, and then lose the series on home ice, that, I, there, there's nothing that's been worse than that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's one thing for Tampa to get swept, but for the Canucks to have been up 3 nothing and then let it go, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I don't think... And enough people, that Jonathan Tay's tying goal, that was a hell of an effort. Um, yep. That that really was to, to tie it. Illustrates that. why he's the captain of that team. Yeah. And I. He was the most determined Blackhawk on the ice that yeah, night. Yeah. And I yeah, still still was a big fan. I was still a big fan of Tay's. I know a lot of people were kind of, I've kind of like over the years softened on him or haven't been really sold on him, but that was. That game was a good example of why there's a value in a Jonathan Taze. Someone was going to say something, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, like he he was uh, named captain at 23, right? Uh, 23 years old, coming out of uh, college hockey, you know, named captain serious from day one. Yeah, how could you not? Like he he's undeniable. Yeah. Um. Then let's get to 04, um, which was game, they showed the game seven. It was after the marathon game, triple overtime game six, in which Vancouver tied the series here in Calgary. Uh, this, uh, it's one nothing, and then, and then the Canucks tie it. The, the Flames were sitting back for most of that, that early in that third period, and then they, when they turned it on, they were able to score. Uh, and then the last two minutes, the last five minutes really became, it became insane. Uh, the, there's the Matt Cook penalty for four minutes. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I think that that's a pretty obvious call even back in that day. I think it's, it, I know that Canuck fans were looking at that and saying that that's not what was off. The Jovanovsky penalty... I'd like to hear Devin's take on this because I know Sean and I differ on this. What did you think of that call? Did you think that that it was a it was a good call, and did you think that Jovanovski was uh was a bad play by Jovanovski, or what did you think? You know, it, it's hard to <clears throat> sorry, it's uh, it's hard to remember exactly what's a good call, what's a bad call. That's back true. For um. But from my perspective, last night it it, it was a, it was a stupid play by Jovanovski. Um, I mean, the, the amount of tripping, slashing, hooking, cross checking there was back in in that time for hockey, you know, it might be 
totally fine just cross-checking someone in the back there, which I believe it was. But, you know, he did get him high. He did hit him in the neck. Um, and I, I believe it was uh, Warner. Yeah. Brett Warner um, drew both those penalties of Cook and uh, Jovo, um, if, if I'm not if I'm not wrong. But, yeah, I think it was a, it was a bad call or a bad play by Jovanovski to just keep cross-checking him. You know, the first one was in the back. I believe he cross-checked him a second one in the shoulder, and then he cross-checked him in the neck. So, um, I mean, to, to me, that's uh, that's a no-brainer for, for the officials to call that one. It, for me, it's, it's, it's error. Uh, it was error-appropriate violence more than anything else. I looked at what was called there and back then what wasn't. That was a standard play that happened every time there was a battle in front of the net. Um, you just you had to you would have two players just going at it, like trying to make sure that they were the ones that loved what was last standing, and they would the rest would let ninety nine percent of those plays go. Yes, he put the, he put he put himself in a bad position by giving the the ref a chance to make a call like that. But if you look at it in context, it was it was a soft call based off of the standard back then. Now nowadays, that's that that's a penalty ninety nine times out of out of a hundred, and completely opposite now. But and that's the problem right now when you re, when you're rewatching a lot of that, like they they let like go let's even go back to ninety four. Watching that game, like I was in like the, the, the tackles, like it was like rugby on ice for a lot of yeah. that game. Yeah, and even go back like it just. It, the, the rules and, and the standards have changed so much since since '04 that trying to look back on that and and have and have a, a proper view on what the standard was is tough. But from what I remember, like the wars, just going back to what, what Tyler said about the the style of hockey, how it was it was a war. Like it was literally you punched the guy and. You were basically having a bit of a, a fight and seeing whoever was still standing won, and that's basically the way that the Canucks were playing. And Jovanovski played that, and ninety nine times out of a hundred, that wouldn't would be a penalty back then. They still tied the game, though. So but. for me, yeah. So for me, the issue with that was um, how many times Jovanovski went to the well. Uh, the Canucks were on the power play at the time, so um, for the referee, like, I don't know how NHL referees are instructed, but, you know, they're certainly feeling the pressure when there's already a power play at that stage of the game for Vancouver trailing by a goal, and then you're, you you see um, a Canucks player clearly using the stick aggressively, and it wasn't until the cross check to the back of the head occurred that the arm went up. So, you know, if there wasn't, if it was a five on five situation, the referee, my guess would be probably would have let that go given as Sean said at the, uh, you know, the standards at the time. I mean, a lot of that kind of stuff was allowed, but he went to the well so many times right in front of the referee when there was already a power play for Vancouver. It was just like, for me, as putting a Canucks fan hat on, it just seemed unnecessary on the part of uh, Jovanovski, and he did put it in the referee's hands, and it didn't go his way. Yeah, I am in agreement. I don't have much to add, but I do like Sean's term of era-appropriate violence. 
Yeah. <laughs> Era appropriate violence. We'll have to put that on the on the list. Um, in terms of the game, I from the Flames' perspective, I, I just looking back that performance by Jerome Ginla. I mean the whole playoffs, but that game he was he was so dominant. He, like so, when he was on the ice, the the game was tilted the Flames' way pretty much a hundred percent of the time. Um, he just like he was just on another level, and it just looked back on that, and that was that was vintage. To quote a certain wrestling announcer, that was vintage again, lot. That was vintage and at his best again, lot. Like just so dominant, like uncontainable by the Canucks defense. I, I don't know if you guys saw it the same way, but he was just he was something else that game. Oh, he scored the first goal, you know, you knew he was going to come to play, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that, and Jerome McGinley has always come to play in big games, proved that over and over in his career. The yeah, fact that, that only con- uh, the only flame that I actually legitimately love and respect, I think, speaks words in itself. Yeah, he, that, that entire playoffs, he was, uh, he was a man on a mission, he was, uh, uh, some would say possessed to wanting to win that cup and uh, that's why he he was our captain uh and that line of Conrad, Jelena and Aginla they they were undeniable uh and the fact that every single goal uh came from that line says a lot it displays the will to win that Aginla had which is hard to fathom watching the flames on some nights uh in the recent years because you know you you had you had such a such a great leader uh great hockey player and great person overall uh leading the hockey team and not saying giordano's not that person but yeah it's, it's definitely missing um within uh within the flames organization now and it's uh it, it's nice to be reminded that uh, you know uh, there there was once that will and determination, and not just solely relied on skill. Uh, that I'm seeing more of nowadays than uh, than back then. And the Flames were down to four defensemen that game because they lost Warner, and they lo- I can't remember they lost someone else too. So they were down to four, and the significance of that too, going through a triple overtime and then going into overtime. Yeah, f- was it five? Because I thought they were down to four at one point. Oh, you're talking about the but War, War, like I said, the Warner was the one who who took the cross check at the end with Bogonovsky. Right, but there was another defenseman yeah. that went down. If I remember correctly, maybe. Well, I no matter what, they gave they gave Mike Commodore power play time. That's how that's how desperate they were on the blind. Yeah, the doors were the defense pairing, Commodore and the late Steve Montador. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. But before we move on, I just want that year is one of the one of the biggest what ifs in, in Canucks in Canucks history, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Let's get so that into was this. the year of the Bertuzzi. That was the Bertuzzi incident. suspension. Yep. That was the Bertuzzi um, incident. Like, had had the Canucks like they also they, the Canucks went through three goalies. That's that that series as well because they lost Cloutier and and Hedberg to injuries 
and even had because they had I think Alex All was in that or something like that. Yeah, for like game seven. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, like even forgetting that, like if they if could you have imagined a, a Glover's or Tuesday war in that series? Oh, uh, sorry. You, uh, uh, which? I'm sorry, theater. Iginla versus Bertuzzi. Like both in their prime. Like, both like in that and before the before the lockout and the rule changes and everything, where the clutching and grabbing and just th- that war would have been just just pure entertainment. So I still think the Flames would have won if Bertuzzi was in the lineup. Um, I just think that they had, I felt they had the will to win that series. And uh, I, I mean, depth wise, I don't, I think one of the guys that I don't think gets enough credit looking back now that I watched last night was Stefan Yell was such a huge factor in that series. Um, the way he played, I just, to me, the reason I would still have stuck with the Flames is, is I think that they ended up being the more disciplined team. And I think that they seem to have more of the will, ended up with more of the will to win. I mean, you will never know. And you're right. It would have been fascinating to watch it with Bertuzzi. But I still think the Flames still would have ended up on top. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I, it would have been really cool to see Bertuzzi versus Iginla. Uh, um, you know, especially with uh, the way that the schedule was, they, I'm pretty sure they played seven or eight times <laughs> in the regular season before that too. So uh, it, it would have been really cool. But one other thing I want to point out is that how good was Matt Cook? Talk about for a yeah. will to win and yeah. determination. You know, I, I he's a greasy, greasy player, and it, it, the way that hockey was back then really fit his game and. You know, he, he had two massive goals in that game, and that's something that I totally forgot about. Yeah. And Naslin was Just really to play devil advocate to, Ke- to Kevin's point is... Uh, why did I just lose my train of thought? <laughs> uh, oh, right. So, yeah, to play devil's advocate to Kevin's thought of that, the Calgary's still going to win, is the fact that the Canucks, without Bertuzzi, got to overtime of Game 7. So if they had Bertuzzi, how much have he would have added to that to give the Canucks the advantage? That, I, yeah, yeah. Bertuzzi, if you look at the the his playoff performances, the the, the couple of years beforehand, it, he literally decimated the, the St. Blues the, the the year before or two seasons before that, just from his physical play and driving the net and just willingness to throw the body like I, I think Kevin's completely off base on this one I think his and and Heidi's going to be very proud of him for this because I think his flames his flames hat is on full on this one but I think with uh, with, with Bertuzzi I, I just don't see how the flames could have gotten past it because they had you look at that that Canucks team like they had Jovanovski Olin was an absolute like Brick wall on the on the blue line. They they, they could have, they could have run the West Coast Express and then you throw back up with the Sedins. The Sedins were on that team. Like 
beginning of theirs. Like they had everything, they had the team to do it if they had Bertuzzi. But unfortunately, like I said, it's just one of the biggest what ifs I've, I have as uh, as a Canucks fan. I'll I, I'll wait for Tyler's taken and I'll have a question. Yeah, I, I, I think even with Bertuzzi there, you look at the goaltending matchup there, and clearly it was uh, advantageous for Calgary. I and that's why, it, yeah, it, it, because you, yeah, because you get to Game Seven in overtime, I think well, that one player would make the difference. Uh, you know, I'd like to think that, but then again, we saw what the Flames did in the subsequent rounds. They were the lower seeded team, uh, still got past uh, Detroit in six games. They still got past uh, San Jose in six games, I believe, and pushed it to seven with Tampa Bay. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's you know that that'll be a debate that rages on forever. Um, I I feel like though, and there's no disrespect to Alex Ald because I mean I really like Alex Ald, but. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that that goaltending was going to be enough to get past Calgary regardless. The caveat I will add to my point from earlier, though, is that I think with Bertuzzi, the Canucks could have beaten the Flames in that round. I don't think they would have had the will to get to the Stanley Cup final like the Flames ended up doing, though. Yeah, that, yeah. It's it's the, it's that that weird combination of if Bertuzzi's there, what what happens and what doesn't? Does does Kluge get injured? Because I think with Kluge, I think they had, I think they could have found a way. But like I said, it's a what if, and who knows? Well, the one thing to remember about Kluge, and I, during that era, he did allow the Lidstrom goal from center ice. And I, 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 you still would have had, I, I don't know. I, I mean, you still would have had the question of trusting Cluche at that point in time, even if he was healthy. I still think that there would have been a portion of the fan base that will still always have looked back at that as like that shot from center ice, which turned around that Detroit-Vancouver series a few years before that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, people were trying to hang the collapse against Minnesota the year before in the second round on Dan Cluche as well. And, you know, I mean, they lost three games. They they blew, I think, a 3-1 lead in game seven. I mean, how much of that is the goalie's fault or how much of, of it is the rest of the team just not getting it done? Yeah. That, was know, all right? in my, that was all coaching. They, they dictated the play by playing their way, and then they d- – decided to try and trap with Minnesota for some strange reason and then lost it because of that. That was all coaching, in my opinion. Mm. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to not to detract or go on a tangent, but that was, like I said, that, that one of the biggest what-ifs. Well, and you also look back on that year, too, from the Koenig's perspective, and, and the air was certainly lit out of the sails after that after what happened mm-hmm. with Bertuzzi and Steve Moore. Like, it just, the team didn't have that same, uh, that same fire with them. And it's, you know, it's swagger, hard. Well. That's that They lost so much swagger. Like, it just, you know. Um, and it was, and it was such a distraction back then. I remember it being such a, like, like, it, that carried at least that, like you thought Cassian and Kachuk this year was distracting. 
look back look back at the stories of that Bertuzzi incident because that it took a long time for people to get over that. That was that was a major story for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Going back to your, your goaltending thing though, Kevin, like that was Kiprasov's first real kick at the can. There was no like looking back now, right? He looked great, great career and all that. But they they acquired Kiprasov halfway through that season. And he was in November, out. yep. Despite his his couple gaffes, was all was a solid a solid start starting goaltender in the NHL at that point. So what? Like again, this goes into the what ifs. But what if the Canucks managed to? That one out. What would have happened to Kiprasov's career? Because that that run kicked it off, and that run gave really gave probably gave uh, um, Kiprasov the, the the confidence to know that he could he could he was the goaltender that could start a, a really good one and one that could stop anything that was thrown at him. That's that that's what that that really kicked his his career off. Well, it did, and as well internationally, too. I mean, he became the go-to guy for Finland for a stretch of years there. Yeah. yeah. And to jump down a rabbit hole of alternate timelines, if Vancouver ended up beating Calgary in 04, and that Canuck team didn't end up getting dismantled like it did, would we have had the Kesslers and the BXs and whatnot coming up in 05 and 06 like they did to build the next core of what became the 2010-2011 Canucks team? So who well, knows? They, they had already drafted. They already drafted Kessler, and he was already going to be a big part of that team. Um, For but, sure. the, but obviously, if it had played out differently, it yeah. would have affected how it got handled. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, the what ifs on the 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 oh, yeah, Devin? What did you think of Kippersoff? Undoubtedly, the best goaltender that has ever put on a flame sweater um yeah he was a third string goaltender in san jose he was uh because uh, daryl sutter actually was the head coach down in san jose before he was head coach in uh calgary and that's how he knew about kiprasov and he, he had faith that you know if he, I, I believe he was the gm at the time as well that yes, he was. for him yeah. and he he knew he knew what he was about, and he knew the the competitor that he was, and so it, it you know looking looking back at you know the last decade uh, without him, it's been it's been a uh, a terrible string of goaltenders, you know, uh, Joey McDonald. Um, a whole bunch of others that Ryan have tried to. Yes, <laughs> uh, who have tried to you know fill his shoes, and it's it's been super hard. And you know, like you know, jumping down another rabbit hole. What if we picked Martin Broder instead of Trevor Kidd? Yep. Uh, <laughs> in the draft, you know, the the what ifs are amazing, and I, I love going down the the whole what if hole of you know uh, of it all. But you know, the the reality was that you know he did step up, and he was one of the best goaltenders in the league for a long time. And um, I, I, he, he is sorely missed and you know, I, it's going to be a while before we have another Kippersoff esque 
goaltender in our association. Not saying Riddick can't get there, but it's uh, it'll be it's big shoes to fill. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the the whole what if out of all of this is the 05 season does not happen, which is the biggest what if of all what ifs from the Flames' perspective, from the Canucks' perspective. All of that. Um, and, you know, one of the things that is also forgotten about the 4 seasons is the Oilers were actually one point out of the playoffs. And that team, and that team, of course, we had the 6 run. So that's another what if from the Oilers' perspective is is what happens if the Oilers get in. Um, what would have happened to the Oilers in 5 So interesting questions there. Um, is was there any other games or anything last night that you saw that you thought was interesting? Mm. Oh, it was amazing to see that uh, Blackhawks Canucks game from 1982 on the TV. I mean, holy moly, yeah. that that's that's <laughs> that's really going back far into the archives there. Yeah, yeah I I remember sort of watching that game, but I don't didn't remember like, um, but. Yeah, looking back, like just as, and it was, it felt the good thing that I saw with that is like, wow, that was, that was that historical moment. That is that moment. That is why the white towel is there. Like it just, you know, you know. It was funny on Twitter. I saw someone going freaking out saying, because this was the only game that Canucks lost in that series. (laughs) They, uh, they, why would they shoot that? And then I think he's just turned it off because he's like, what the hell? And then, then someone's like, uh, you do realize that this is the game that the White Tower will start? Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was right the show. Yeah. What, um, what game going, what games do you want to see that they haven't, well, there's a bunch that they haven't, but if there was one game that you were hope, I hope that, You'd say, I hope they show this one in its entirety and have a good perspective on which. What would be one game that you want to see? For me, well, it would be... just from this. Sorry, Sean. <laughs> just from this past season, I want to do the uh, have uh, the the goalie fight game in, in its entirety. The Talbot. Oh, yeah. I actually wouldn't well, mind I th- watching it. I think we're going to see that one here probably at some point because they've already shown a couple of the Battle of Alberta games uh, from this season. I believe it was the the initial one uh, where uh, Cassian got the suspension and then there was the rematch game in Edmonton where uh, David Riddick uh, sullied at the end of the shootout. I, but I, I don't recall yet seeing the goalie fight game. I think that one's still to come. Mm-hmm. Just from a purely selfish Canucks fan point, I would love to see the one where Daniel scored in between his legs on Kippersaw, that game in its entirety, and also the stanchion goal uh, game five that sent the Canucks to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I'm with Chris on on the second one there. I mean, the first one was kind of a, a mean-nothing game other than, I think, the Hart Trophy race, but... Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'd love to see any Game 7 that Canucks played in going back to the, the mid-90s. It, it would be fantastic. I know there was a couple in there against St. Louis um, that would be great to see. Um, as far as more recent times, uh, you know, the Sedin's final home game, that would be another neat one to see. There, there, there's a few there for sure. 
Yeah, for me, from a purely hockey standpoint, um, I believe it was the rivalry between um, uh, Detroit and Colorado. Yeah. I think it was 01 playoffs. I would love to see that entire series. Um, I, I, I believe they, it was just a bloodbath. It was, it yes. It would be a lot of fun to watch. Was that was the Lemieux Draper incident? Speaking of goalie so. fights, yeah, and Juan Vernon got into a fight. Yeah, Juan Ver- Vernon. And, well, Juan Vernon one year, and then Juan and Oz was good as well. Yeah, I don't know yeah. but uh, yeah, um, I I honestly think like that if this continues to go on, what they really need to do is just get people on a phone call like this and. And, and get them to like replay that 2011 game. Bring on Patrick Sharp. Yeah. Bring on Kevin Bieksa, Ryan yeah. Kessler. Like get get the retired players in and, and start getting them to talk about it because that'd be fantastic. I would be so into that. Like actually. you could, like you could even yeah. go. Yeah. Get them to talk about how how what how all that and um, even. Yeah, I, just, I think they need to start thinking outside the box in terms of, in terms of that. Because had they not had they done that and not the full game, I think that would have been that would have made up for it. You would have been able to say, okay, they did show up all the game, but we were able to get some behind the scenes stuff that we never would have done before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Or if they really get desperate for just filling hours, the quadruple overtime game that Henrik got the overtime winner for against uh, Dallas in round one. Yeah, yeah. I was going to actually mention too. There was a, there's a, I believe it was a Flyers Capitals. I think it was a Flyers Penguins. It was in 2000, and it was 92 minutes and one second of overtime. I believe that is the longest modern era game that was played that was keith primo that got the game winner there that that would be another neat one to see just how did it get that far into an overtime before it was decided the fly i think it was a flyers penguins i think it was flyers penguins now that you mentioned yeah, yeah. I mean, I keith primo scored that goal if i remember that's right correctly. Yeah. that's that's the one i'm thinking of um, going down you know not nostalgia lane again uh you know show show gretzky's last game Show Lemieux's last game, um, you know, go go down the legends legends road and and for for me seeing uh, Gordy Howe's last game and playing with his sons would be pretty cool in a Whalers jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One one podcast, Evan. I do want to do a rest perspective on Gordy Howe because I do think that is a player that I think in modern times we I think history is going to forget him. And I think he's he's a guy that I think people need to know about. There's an opportunity for education on him because he's he was such a unique athlete. Hundred uh, percent. I'd love to do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, um, I would love for them to replay the uh, some of the Russian games that came back in the seventies and the eighties, like Rendezvous '87, um, the Canadians versus the Red Army. Um, the game, they're going home. Yeah, they're going home. Like, uh, yeah, Bob Cole doing the going home. Um, uh, 
even that 89 cup series between the Flames and Canadians, not only game six, but there's so much else that happened in that series. The uh, Al McKenna's blasting Patrick Waugh in the mask, uh, the controversial call that led to a win in Montreal. Uh, that series was, that was such, it was a really good series. Um, yeah, I, and you know, the Flames don't have a hell of a lot of playoff memories, but that would be one. Um, you know, even Jerome McGinley's last game. Uh, you know, yeah, the, some of the Canuck ones, all the Canuck ones you mentioned, I would I would like to see through. But there's lots, I what guess. What Jerome McGinley's last, na- last game? What's that? What was his last well, game? Well, Jersey was he <laughs> He, he was uh, Colorado. It was Col- His last game was Colorado. His last Flames game was. Oh, was, I, was it in Minnesota? Yeah, because then he was scratched the next that night, or that next game, and then the the. I would like to even that the game that he was traded even go back to that game because it's not the game so much that was fascinating. It was. Where he was supposed to go, because everyone thought he was supposed to end up in Boston, and he ended up in Pittsburgh. I just would love to go back to that that night and kind of look back and hear from even Aaron Ward or all of the inside. <laughs> yeah, you said everybody. I thought, it was only Aaron Ward that thought he was going to Boston. Wasn't there other people, too? There, there's other people, but nothing was confirmed, confirmed, because nothing, uh, no papers have been signed yet, right? Because he, yeah, he was, Aaron, he, he, Aaron Ward was reporting it as a done deal. Yeah, and Jerome McGinley, it, it went to the point of Jerome McGinley saying, "No, I do not want to go to Boston. I want to go to Pittsburgh." Right. Yeah, but go, even going back on that, just I, I just would love to hear even from Jay Feaster what was going on, what Jerome McGinley yeah. was going through. Just that whole that day was so interesting. Yeah. Um, Another another game I just thought of was the overtime game, uh, Canucks versus Ducks, where uh, Luongo uh, had his bathroom break. Right, yeah, that that would be good too. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can even review some of these on these as well. But um, let's end it here. Um, where do we follow everyone? I am BeardyCanuck03 on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at T-Noble, T-N-O-B-L-E. I'm at Schneids on most social media. I'm at GordHallow9 on Twitter. And I'm at, I'm at K-V-O-L-E, and there's also Heidi at Hyde Amazeballs. We will be back next week. Uh, next Sundays at noon, we noon Pacific. We do these. We'll be on Facebook Live and on Spreaker, and then you can subscribe, review on all podcasts. We will talk to you all soon. Bye for now. Okay. I'm sorry, Tyler. I screwed up on the O again. <laughs> After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.